Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 15. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. O God, our Father, forgive us for our many sins. Like Adam and Eve, we are easily captivated by the objects that our eyes desire. We fall so often, and when we do, we run and hide in shame instead of running to you to confess our sin and find joy and forgiveness in the cross. You've given us your most cherished treasure, yet we prize many other things more highly than Christ. Forgive us for trusting in our own strength more than in his power to save us completely. We live each day with hearts full of our own desires, minds full of our own agendas, and plans for our own self-promotion. Forgive us, Lord. Jesus, you are our strong salvation. Thank you for invading our world to rescue us from ourselves. We cannot fathom the humility, the love, and commitment to your Father's glory, which led you to give up heaven for us. When the Holy Spirit took you into the desert to be tempted by Satan, you kept your eyes fixed firmly on your Father, your soul devoted to serving him in perfect obedience, and your mind saturated with Scripture. You gave up your own glory to be stripped, humiliated, and shattered in death so that you could serve us and be our substitute. The joy of your life was fixed firmly upon the will of God, and now we find the joy of our lives to be your obedience for us and your death in our place. How can we ever thank you adequately? Holy Spirit, fill us with everlasting wonder that the gospel is true. You kept your promise to send a Savior. Help us to stop trying to rescue others and ourselves. When we are tempted to sin as Adam and Eve did, remind us of Christ who kept all your laws for us and fix our eyes on him. Whether we give in to temptation or resist, show us Christ, our only hope for the perfect obedience that we require to stand before you. Give us the kind of heart that serves you with peaceful abandon, unconcerned about our own welfare and reputation, submissive and quiet before you. Cause us to cherish Christ above all other desires so that we will be satisfied in him for all eternity. In his name we pray, amen. Happy Mother's Day. I know for some people, uh, Mother's Day is not a happy day. It's a day of sadness and a day of loss and a day of grieving. I'm especially thinking of some friends of ours in Texas whose son died in a motorcycle accident a few years ago. So I know today is especially going to be hard for them. Mother's Day is not always happy. It can be hard and it can be difficult But today's sermon, I hope, will comfort your broken heart if you find yourself in that place today. But nonetheless, happy Mother's Day. It's also National Have a Coke Day. 
So if you feel inclined, you can buy Pastor Greg, a, uh, Pastor James, a Coke because that's his favorite beverage. And when I say Coke, I mean the actual product because I'm from the South. And when we say Coke, we mean many different kinds of carbonated beverages. Uh, but Coke here, I think, is Coke. So you can buy him a Coke. Uh, it's also National Coconut Cream Pie Day, and since Pastor Greg loves pie so much, you can buy him a pie. But if you do neither of those, you need to do one thing today. You need to honor your mom because it's Mother's Day and because God's Word says that you should honor your mom. One of the Ten Commandments is that we should all honor our parents. And since God's law is binding on all human beings everywhere, everyone here should honor their mother today in some way. In fact, I would say honor all of the moms in your life, your mom, maybe your wife, your sister, daughters, etc. But as we think about Mother's Day, let us not forget that Jesus had a Mom. Jesus spent nine months, the eternal Son of God spent nine months crammed up inside Mary's stomach and he traveled through her birth canal and he emerged all covered in afterbirth and he nursed at her breast and he wore diapers and he called Mary Mama. And as Jesus did these things, As a baby boy, he was busy resisting temptation the whole time. In fact, Jesus spent his entire life resisting temptation. He actually faced the mother of all temptations all day, every day of his life. And that's what we're going to see in God's word today. But a warning is in order as we approach God's word this morning. And here's the warning. Sometimes when you read the Bible, it can give you a headache. And I'm not talking about those chapters full of names, you know, the ones, the chapters with all the genealogies, the ones that you love reading, the ones that you love underlining and highlighting in your Bible. I'm not talking about those chapters giving you a headache. Sometimes when you read the Bible, it can give you a headache because it makes you think about questions that are not easily answered. Well, guess what? The passage that we're in today is one of those passages, and when you read it, you might get a headache Because it should cause you to ask a few of the following questions. How was Jesus tempted? In what ways was he tempted? Was he tempted in every way that I have ever been tempted? And what does it mean that Jesus, the God-man, could be tempted to sin? Could Jesus have actually sinned? Is that even possible? Is it possible that Jesus could sin? So the passage that we're looking at today, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, has a way of comforting your heart, but at the same time, afflicting your head. And I hope you experience both today. I hope you leave here today having your heart comforted, but also having your brain stretched a little more. I hope you leave here today with a comforted heart and an afflicted head. Happy Mother's Day. Well, you will leave here today with a comforted heart and an afflicted head if you begin to understand what Jesus, the eternal Son of God, experienced as a human being dealing with temptation. 
Jesus experienced the strongest and the most relentless barrage of temptations ever devised by the devil. And that ought to comfort your heart. And as you'll see in a moment too, it will probably hurt your head a little too. But that's what aspirin is for. So if you have questions after this sermon, take to aspirin and email me next week. But what we'll see today is that Jesus went through hell to get you to heaven. Jesus went through hell on earth in order to get you to heaven. He spent his entire life resisting temptation. Think about the relentless barrage of temptations that came his way. The devil knew it only takes one sin to make Jesus a sinner. So do you think that Satan just sat back and said, I've got at least 33 years to cause him to trip up, to cause him to sin? No. I'm sure the devil worked overtime. So Jesus spent his entire life resisting temptation. He experienced the most uh, relentless barrage, the strongest barrage of temptations ever devised by the devil. He never got a break from temptation and suffering. And the reason why is because he came to do what Adam did not do. Jesus came to be the second Adam. He came to obey the law of God for sinners like us. And he went through hell on earth in order to give us access into God's presence. So that we could enjoy heaven for eternity and heaven on earth right now. But right now... You might get a headache as we discuss this. So look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. You've been warned you may get a headache. Hear the word of the Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Those last three words are staggering. They can only be applied to one person, yet without sin. Jesus went through hell on earth in order to pass through the heavens in his ascension so that he could be our great high priest. And the Hebrews had lost sight of this fundamental gospel truth. Remember the context here. The Hebrews are being tempted to return to the old covenant, to turn back to Moses, to turn back to the law. They wanted to go back to the Old Testament forms of worship, the sacrificial system where they could offer animals to be sacrificed in order to cover and forgive their sins. But I want you to think about this this morning. Whose blood really covers sin? Does a lamb, an all-moral animal, an animal who cannot do right or wrong, all-moral, can an all-moral animal who cannot do right and wrong, does the blood of that animal really and truly cover the sin of fallen, rebellious sinners? Or does the blood of a man who did right his whole life, who never did wrong, never sinned, Whose blood really and truly covers sin? It's the blood of Jesus. 
the God-man who completely obeyed God's, God's law for us, something that no animal could ever do. No lamb or bull or goat could obey the moral law of God for us. We needed a human being, the God-man, to live and to die for us. And this is why the preacher of Hebrews brings up the temptation of Jesus again here in chapter 4. He wants to show the Hebrews that Jesus, the sinless God-man, is better. Jesus is better than these so-called innocent lambs sacrificed in the Old Testament because he lived the life that we could never live and he died the death that we all deserve in order to make us right with the holy God. No animal could do that. All of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing towards Jesus, but killing an animal really isn't going to make a sinner right with a holy God. It was all a picture pointing towards Jesus who would come. I mean, yes, they were offered forgiveness. Yes, they had access to Yahweh in the Old Testament. But my point is, an animal really can't die in our place. We needed a God-man, Jesus No animal could do that for us. No lamb could do that. No bull, no goat, no pigeon. The Hebrews were being tempted to return to the old covenant where they could have a high priest, a man, a high priest, a sinner, but a high priest represent them before God and offer animal sacrifices on their behalf. But under the old covenant, the high priest would only enter into God's presence one time every year on the Day of Atonement. He would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel. So the preacher of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is better because in his ascension, he passed through the heavens and did enter into God's presence, not in an earthly tabernacle or temple, but he entered heaven itself. And because he is our high priest, we sinners can go into God's presence, not just once a year, but anytime we want to. If you wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning, you can march right into God's presence. You couldn't do that under the Old Covenant. Once a year on the Day of Atonement. So the Hebrews are being encouraged to hold fast to their confession of faith, what they have heard and believed in the gospel. They're being encouraged to hold on to this gospel confession of faith that, faith that Jesus is their great, merciful, and faithful high priest who has made a way possible into God's presence. And the reason why Jesus is better and why they should hold fast to the gospel is because Jesus is not only a great high priest, not only a merciful high priest, not only a faithful high priest, he's also, as the writer of Hebrews says here, a sympathetic high priest. A lamb could not sympathize with sinners. A lamb could not say to you, oh man, oh yeah, I know what that's like. I've done that before, been there and done that. I've struggled with that sin before. A lamb cannot be sympathetic to sinners like us. And that's why Jesus is better, because he does sympathize with us. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the one who is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, he is a sympathetic high priest to rebellious sinners. Think about that. The eternal Son of God is a sympathetic high priest to rebellious sinners. That sentence is just downright staggering. 
But you would think, and maybe the Hebrews were thinking this, you would think that because Jesus is the eternal Son of God who has never sinned, you would think that he would not be able to sympathize with our weaknesses. You would think that he wouldn't understand what that's like. And you might think that, but you'd be wrong. Just because Jesus never sinned does not mean that he does not know what it is like to struggle with temptation as a human being. In fact, as the preacher says in verse 15, Jesus was tempted in every respect as we are. So Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to sin, and yet he never sinned. And that makes him a great high priest for great sinners like us. And that means then that Jesus spent his whole life resisting the nonstop barrage of temptations that the devil threw his way. What does it mean that Jesus spent his whole life resisting temptation? And how was Jesus tempted? In what ways was he tempted? What does it mean that Jesus, the God-man, could be tempted to sin? And could Jesus have actually sinned? Is that even possible? Is it possible that Jesus could sin? Those are the questions that we're going to tackle today. And they'll probably give you a headache, so you've been forewarned. When we picture being Jesus being tempted in every way that we are tempted, we have to picture Jesus being genuinely tempted to sin, but actually being genuinely unable to sin. Now, let me say that again, and if your head is already hurting, you will not offend me in the least if you start taking two aspirin right now. In fact, I may need to borrow a few. So let me say that again. When we picture Jesus being tempted in every single way that we are tempted, we have to picture Jesus being genuinely tempted to sin, but actually being genuinely unable to sin. Another way to say that Jesus could not sin, and a word that you'll see if you read about this in theology books, is that Jesus was impeccable. You've probably heard the term impeccable before, but perhaps not in the sense that we're going to talk about it today. Typically, we use the word impeccable to describe something that is perfect. For instance, that tri-tip was impeccable. Or... She was a clean freak and her home was impeccable. Or Pastor Benji's sermon about Jesus being impeccable was downright impeccable. Maybe you won't say that last one, but that's how we typically use the word impeccable. But in theological circles, if you read books about Jesus' humanity, you read books about the incarnation of Jesus, then you'll hear the word impeccable used to describe the fact that Jesus could not have sinned. Our English word impeccable comes from the Latin word peccare, meaning to sin, and the Latin word in, meaning not. So impeccable means to not sin. And so when we speak of the impeccability of Jesus, we are speaking about the fact that Jesus could not have genuinely sinned. But at the same time, we also affirm that his temptations were very much real. So Jesus was genuinely tempted to sin, but he was actually genuinely unable to sin. Does your brain hurt yet? Anybody need an aspirin? 
We are in deep waters today, Grace, and sometimes when you are in deep theological waters, it can give you a headache. And I bet somebody here might be tempted to sue us for giving them a migraine today. I can see the headline now. Lady sues church over brain-stretching sermon citing emotional trauma and recurring headaches seeks $5 million in damage. Listen, I know we're in deep waters and you may be tempted to check out, but we need to swim here. So maybe this will help you a little. As you've heard me trumpet many times from this pulpit, Christianity affirms that Jesus is the God-man. He is 100% God, 100% man with those two natures united together in one person. That means then that when Jesus was tempted to sin, he was tempted in his humanity. As a man, he was tempted to sin. But in his divine nature as God, he was not tempted because James 1.13 says that God cannot be tempted with evil. So when Jesus was tempted, he was tempted in his human nature. But how do we account for the reality of the genuineness of Jesus' temptations if we also say that Jesus could not sin. How does that work? How could Jesus genuinely be tempted to sin and yet at the same time not be able to sin? We're going to answer that in this sermon. Jesus was genuinely tempted and yet at the same time he was genuinely impeccable, not able to sin. And we have to affirm this because Christianity holds that the two natures of Jesus, God and man, They're united in one person, and we cannot divide the two natures. That's why theologian Herman Bovink said, God himself would have to be able to sin, which is blasphemy. Or the union between the divine and human nature is considered breakable and, in fact, denied. So we can't say that God could have sinned. That's blasphemy. Because God cannot sin. But we also don't want to divide the two natures in Jesus. We don't want to divide Jesus into two natures, God over here, man over here. We must keep those in union. So what we are left with is this. Jesus did not sin. Jesus genuinely could not have sinned. He was impeccable, but he also was genuinely tempted. So we must say those three things when we speak of Jesus' temptations. Number one, he did not sin. Number two, he could not have sinned. And number three, he was genuinely tempted to sin. Does that satisfy all of our curiosities? Does that answer all of our questions Probably not. But Jesus isn't a math problem to be answered. He's not a mystery to be solved. What he is, is a sympathetic high priest for real sinners like us. And that's the big takeaway from the passage today. So look again at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we know that Jesus was just 
like us. He was a human being and was exactly like us, except he did not have a sin nature. There was no indwelling sin inside of him like there is in us. He was not a sinner, and he did not sin. And Jesus actually successfully resisted temptation all the days of his life. But how did he resist temptation? How in the world did Jesus resist temptation? Well, here's how we may be tempted to answer that question. Jesus could not sin because he was God, and Jesus did not sin because he was God. We may be tempted to say that the reason Jesus could not sin and the reason Jesus did not sin was because he was God. And that answer might keep the headaches away. But we must remember there's a distinction between why Jesus could not sin and why Jesus did not sin. We may be tempted to think that the reason why Jesus did not sin was because he relied on his, human na- his uh, divine nature to not sin, as if his divine nature as God kicked into gear when he was being tempted and it kind of shoved his human nature out of the way and said, step back, human nature. I'm taking over from here. You, you don't know what you're dealing with. We might be tempted to think that Jesus did not sin because he relied on his human nature to not sin. But that is not the case. Jesus resisted temptation. He always obeyed his Father in heaven. And he did this through the resources that were afforded to him in his humanity, namely the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Jesus did not resist temptation Because his divine nature as God was united to his human nature. It isn't because Jesus was empowered in his divine nature to overcome sin in his human nature. Instead, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to resist temptation in his human nature. Now let me say that again. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to resist temptation in his human nature. And it was with the word of God and by the power of the spirit of God that Jesus resisted temptation in his human nature. In other words, the common evangelical belief is this. If Jesus could not sin because he was God, then the reason he did not sin must also be because he was God. We may be tempted to think that because Jesus could not sin then the reason why he did not sin is because the God part of him, his deity, kept him from sinning. Here's how Bruce Ware, a theologian and seminary professor, explains it. Although Christ was fully God, and as fully God, he could not sin, he deliberately did not appeal, as it were, to his divine nature in fighting the temptations that came to him. As a human... He not only could be tempted, but was tempted in the greatest ways any human has been tempted in all of history. Yet for every temptation he faced, he fought and resisted fully and totally apart from any use of or appeal to his intrinsic divine nature. The writer of Hebrews wants us to picture Jesus Resisting temptation, not because he relied on his divine nature, but because he relied on the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And isn't that 
how we see him in scripture when he is tempted by the devil in the desert. We don't get a record of all the temptations of Jesus, all the temptations that he ever faced, but we do get a few snapshots in scripture. And what is the picture that emerges when Jesus is being tempted? In the gospel accounts, Jesus is empowered by the Spirit of God as he quotes the Word of God. He's empowered by the Spirit of God as he quotes the book of Deuteronomy to fight temptation. Imagine that, using the book of Deuteronomy to fight temptation. When was the last time you resisted sin, you resisted temptation with a verse out of the book of Deuteronomy. It was good enough for Jesus. Well, you can, because that's exactly what Jesus did. That's where Jesus found his fighter verses. You know, in our worship bulletin, we put fighter verses for you to memorize and meditate on each week so you can fight sin. Guess where Jesus got his fighter verses? The book of Deuteronomy. Let me ask you a question. Who led Jesus into the desert to face temptation? Was it the devil? Luke tells us in his gospel in Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 2, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. It was the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And it was the Spirit of God that enabled or empowered Jesus to resist temptation. Jesus just didn't resist temptation because he was God, meaning because he relied on his divine nature. No, what Jesus did was utilize all of the resources at his disposal to fight temptation. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Jesus did not do any of this in his own strength as God. His divine nature as God did not come to his rescue. It was the Spirit of God empowering Jesus to resist temptation through the Word of God. And the same is true for us, Grace. The difference is that we have sin residing within us. We have a sin nature. Jesus did not. The temptations came from without, outside of him. Our problem is that many times the temptations come from within. They're things that we actually want, and we want them bad, and we're going to get them. All right, let's catch our breath. Let's get our bearings and gather our herding brains. Why is it that Jesus could not sin? Answer, because he is God. Jesus could not sin because he was the God-man. His divine nature was joined to his human nature, not to be separated. And because his two natures are united, then he could not sin. But why is it that Jesus did not sin? Answer, Because he was a man, a human being, just like you and me, who used the resources given to him to resist temptation, namely the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Jesus could not sin because he was God. But Jesus did not sin 
Because as a human being, he relied on the Spirit of God and not on his own divine nature. He did not use his deity, his, his divine nature to fight sin. He did not take comfort from the fact that he was God and he had a divine nature and he could use it in order to resist temptation. He took no comfort from the fact that he was the eternal Son of God. In other words, Jesus did not think to himself, well, this whole incarnation thing is going to be a piece of cake because I'm God, and as God, I cannot sin. So this ought to be easy. This whole God-man thing is going to be a breeze. Why? Because I'm God, and God can't sin, so these temptations aren't even going to phase me. I'll use my own super deity powers as God to help myself in my human nature to resist temptation. Piece of cake, I got this. That's not how Jesus viewed the incarnation. He took no comfort from the fact that he was the eternal son of God. Why is it that Jesus could not sin? And why is it that Jesus did not sin? These two questions have two different answers. Picture it this way. Bruce Ware gives this illustration. Maybe it will help you to understand why the answers to the two questions are are different Imagine a swimmer swimming in the ocean, trying to beat the world record for the longest distance swam by a human being in the ocean. A swimmer knows that it's a possibility that his muscles may cramp up, and it's a possibility that he might drown if his muscles cramp up. And so the swimmer's friends decide to ride in a boat behind him as he swims. That way, if his muscles cramp up, then they can reach down and save him from drowning. Now the question, why is it that the swimmer could not drown? Why is it that even if the swimmer's muscles cramp up, why is it that he is not going to drown? The answer, it's the boat with all of his friends on it. His friends in the boat are going to rescue him so that he does not drown. Now another question. Why is it that the swimmer did not drown? The answer is not the same. The reason the swimmer did not drown is not because of the boat full of friends. The reason the swimmer did not drown is precisely because he kept on swimming. If you came up to the swimmer who broke the world record for the longest distance of any human being swimming in the ocean, you came up to him and you say, I know you did not drown because the boat with your friends on it was right behind you. You know what? If you said that to him, the swimmer might be tempted to punch you in the face and then to say, the reason I did not drown is because I kept on swimming. Not because my friends were in the boat, The reason I broke the record, the reason I did not drown is because I kept swimming. The reason the swimmer could not drown is because there was a boat with his friends on board. They would have reached down and saved him. But the reason the swimmer did not drown is because he kept swimming. He kept on kicking his legs and kept on moving his arms. Another question, but did the boat full of friends, comfort the swimmer who's trying to break the world record? Was it a comfort to the swimmer knowing that his friends were close by in a boat? We may be tempted to say, yes, yes, it brought him much comfort. 
The friends in the boat may seem like they would be a comfort to the man. After all, if he cramps up, they are there to save him. But the reality is that the boat full of friends is not a comfort to the swimmer. The swimmer's goal is not to keep from drowning. His goal is to set the world record for swimming. The boat full of friends is not a comfort because if the swimmer has to rely on his friends in the boat, then it means that he cannot break the world record. And so the presence of the boat full of friends doesn't comfort the swimmer in the least. If the swimmer so much as touches the side of that boat, then it's over. He cannot rely on that boat full of friends in order to set the new record. And that's a picture of how it was with Jesus. Jesus had a divine nature as God. And as God, he was all-powerful. But Jesus did not rely on his deity. He did not rely on his own power in order to overcome temptation. He did not rely on the boat, if you will. In other words, it was not necessarily a comfort to Jesus that he was almighty God. Why? Because Jesus knew he had to break the record. He knew he had to be a human being who never sinned. He couldn't rely on his own power. He knew he had to overcome temptation as a man, as a human being, and not simply as God, so that he could be the second Adam obeying the law, so that he could be a sympathetic high priest to real sinning sinners like us. Jesus had the quote-unquote boat of his deity, if you will, but the minute that he relies on his own deity, the minute he relies on his own power, it's over because he would fail to pass the test as a man, as a human being, as the second Adam. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says in verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If Jesus could have relied on his own deity as God to help him resist temptation, then he could not be a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. If Jesus could have relied on his own deity to overcome temptation, then when you and I go to him with our struggles, you know what he would say to us? I don't really know what you're talking about. Because whenever it got tough for me, I just fell back on my own deity on my own power. So I can't really sympathize with your weaknesses because every time I was tempted to sin, my God's superpowers kicked in. It was actually kind of easy. Why is it such a struggle for you? And if Jesus said that to us, then we would say to him, then you don't know what I'm going through because you always had the boat of your deity to help you out, and I don't have that. You had divine superpowers to help you, and we don't. But because Jesus did not rely on his own power, but as a human being relied on the Spirit of God and then the Word of God, then the writer of Hebrews could also tell us this, which we saw back in chapter 2, verses 14 and 18, where he says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus faced temptation as a human being, just like you and me, then he can help us because he knows what it's like. He understands what it's like to be tempted as a human being, and that makes him a merciful and faithful high priest. That makes him a sympathetic high priest because he was tempted just like we are, and therefore he is able to help us. He was tempted with pride. How many of us struggle with pride? He was tempted with depression and suicide. He was brought to the brink of suicide on the edge of that temple in Luke chapter 4 when the devil said, throw yourself down. And so if you struggle with depression and you are tempted with suicide, You have a merciful and sympathetic high priest that you can go to and say, my heart hurts so bad and this world is so broken that I just want to die. And you can go to that high priest and he will say to you, I've been there and I've done that. Let me help you. The preacher of Hebrews and the preacher of this sermon want you to know that Jesus went through hell to get you to heaven. He spent his entire life resisting temptation. He experienced the strongest and the most relentless barrage of temptations ever devised by the devil. And he never got a break from suffering and temptation. He came to do what Adam did not do. And he went through hell on earth in order to give us access into God's presence. So you and I have been barraged by indwelling sin, the temptations, and also by the devil. And we've all given in, but not Jesus. We've all had that moment of, I'm just tired of fighting sin, and I just want to indulge and get relief. You've been there? You're just tired. You fight, you fight, you fight, and you finally just say, I'm tired. I'm giving in. And you have that sense of relief where it's like, ah, at least I I don't have to fight that sin for a while. And Jesus never got that relief. It was nonstop every day of his life so that you and I would have a sympathetic high priest and we can march right into God's presence when we blow it. Jesus faced the strongest and most relentless barrage of temptations ever devised by the devil and he resisted and he overcame and he did that for you. He went through hell to get you to heaven. And he went through hell on the cross where he absorbed the wrath of Almighty God for your sin and my sin. What he faced there was like a runaway train of God's righteousness and holiness, his wrath speeding towards his son at the cross because of your sin and because of mine. And so marvel at him today, Grace. He was barraged 24-7 with temptations and he resisted. 
He knows what temptations you struggle with. He knows your weaknesses and he doesn't turn a deaf ear to you. He actually moves out to you in mercy as your great, merciful, faithful high priest. So just cry out to him. Tell him what you're struggling with. What are you struggling with today? It's Mother's Day. Some people are struggling over the loss of a loved one or maybe a a broken relationship. Just cry out to him and tell him. Some of you are struggling with sin. It's crouching at your door and you know it. You want it bad, but you know it's going to kill you. Go to Jesus and say, help, help. Some of you are eating yourself up on the inside from worry. It's just killing you. Just go to Jesus and say, help. Jesus experienced everything that we experienced. Loss, rejection, betrayal, every heartache that every human being has ever faced and experienced. Jesus has experienced that. Maybe you have wayward children. Jesus knows what that is like. Look at the church. We turn away from him all the time. Maybe you've got a, a distant spouse. Your, your spouse and you are, you're, there's distance. There's a divide. There's not unity and love there. Jesus knows his bride walks away from him all the time. Every heartache that every human being has ever experienced has been experienced by Jesus. And you can go to him and he moves out to you in mercy. And he's compassionate and he's gracious and he's kind and he's gentle and he's waiting for you. Just tell him how hard your life is, and he listens. And then do what Octavius Winslow said. Fly to him then, O tempted one. He is not a high priest who can be indifferent to your present assault, since he was pierced by Satan, and in a measure is still pierced by the fiery darts which now pierce you. So what he's saying is that you're, you're in union with Christ, and when you hurt, he hurts. When there's pain in your heart, there's pain in his heart. He says, accept your present temptation as sent to make you better acquainted with his preciousness, his sympathy, his grace, his changeless love. And regard it also as a part of that spiritual discipline that is to teach your hands to war and your fingers to fight in the present with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Fly to him today, O tempted one. Fly to your high priest, Jesus, who is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. Fly to the one who has been tempted in every respect as you, and yet without sin. Hold fast your confession, Christian, and accept your present temptation as sent to make you better acquainted with his preciousness better acquainted with his sympathy, better acquainted with his grace, better acquainted with his changeless love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how merciful you are to sinners like us. We would expect you to move out in wrath, but you don't. You poured that out on your son for us.
it, it seems backwards. It is backwards, Father. You poured your wrath out on your son who didn't deserve it. And you should pour your wrath out on us because we deserve it. And that's been flip-flopped. And that's because you're merciful and you're gracious and you're kind. And so we say, forgive us of our sins. Help us to see Jesus again this morning, to love him, to serve him, to honor him, to glorify him. Thank you that we have a merciful and faithful high priest and that we can come to your throne boldly and confidently to find grace and mercy in time of need. In Jesus' name, amen.